The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL. Happy holidays from your friends at Podcast One. Hi, everyone. It's Becca from the Lady Gang. We wanted to say thank you to all our advertisers for their support this year. We couldn't do it without you. Have a very happy holiday season. Hey, this is Adam Carolla. I want to thank you for listening this year and have a happy and safe holiday. Hi, it's Barbara Boxer wishing you a happy new year. And this is Nicole. Yeah, and we're wishing you a happy holidays. Hey, everyone. It's Sheena Shea from Shenanigans. Just wishing you all happy holidays and a very happy new year. Hey guys, it's Nas and Nadia from Ladies Ladies Like Like Us. Us. We want to wish our listeners a very happy holiday and say thank you to all our advertisers who support our show. We could not do it without you. Happy holidays. Hey, it's Heather and Terry Dubrow. Hello, happy holidays. Happy holidays, everybody. Chuck, I know you love being Santa. No, I am Santa. Yeah. All day, every day. Happy, Happy holidays, holidays from adulting, adulting like a mother father. Hey everyone, it's Kaylin Bristow from Off the Vine Podcast wishing you a very happy holiday season and thank you for all of your support this year. Tis the season of giving! And we know you're looking for gifts for your family and friends right now. So check out our amazing sponsors who bring you showmance every week for free. Give us your ears and they'll give you awesome deals. And we will give you more of the content you love. Hey, it's Heidi Pratt. I just want to thank all of our amazing sponsors for making this show possible and everything that they do so we can have this free podcast for you guys every week so thank you so much to all of our awesome sponsors we love you and we really love all your products so thank you hey everybody steve austin here and i want to wish you a very happy holiday season and a happy new year and that's the bottom line now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the dominion energy reliability investment Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Pelzola, Sam Monson. Playoff time. Let's do it. Nice. <laughs> Straight into it. I like it. Playoffs. Yeah. Let's go. In. Can we get a Jim Mora clip? Playoffs. Playoffs. Let's oh, go. God. It's time. You kidding you me? can, yeah. Let's fire it out there. Playoffs. You going to bring it this week? No. You've been trudging through the regular season. Yeah. Going through the motions. Uh-huh. It's playoff time, though. I'm Step like, so the office here 
has been just a disease pit over the last yeah. week and a half or so. Even right? with Ian leaving. every Right. Everybody in here is fighting off a cold of some kind. And Eric has been like wrecking my supply of cough drops. So I'm out of them you guys at the fight? worst possible time. Fighting for cough drops. Can we get some cough drops around here? Where are the interns? He's supposed to be replacing, replenishing the supply. But until then, I'm like drugging myself silly trying to fight off this cold that everyone else is trying to inflict upon me. So it's rough going at the moment. Yeah, I'm surviving the office colds. I survived my three kids having colds during Christmas week. Yeah, that's rough. I got strong immune system over here fighting it. Nice. Yeah. Good work. Stay away from me. Um, all right. Let's get into the action. You ready? Yeah. Okay. Saturday. We've got wild card weekend. Mm-hmm. Nothing says wild card weekend like the Texans on Saturday afternoon. Okay. That's like kind of a classic, ex- except instead of trotting Osweiler out there, it's Deshaun Watson. So it's more exciting. That's definitely true. Buffalo Bills, Houston Texans, Saturday afternoon, kicking off the playoff action. Lines under three. Last time I checked, about two and a half in favor of the Texans. Do the Bills have a chance to pull the upset here? Sure. On the road. So I, I like all four of these games. Um, I've been talking for a while that I think the wild card weekends may feature some teams that aren't that great. But once we get through to the divisional round, all the teams are strong. Everybody loves divisional round. I think. Right. But I think in particular this year, once you get to the divisional round, they're going to be a, like all the teams are going to be legit and very good. The wild card, the, the same thing might not be true, but um, I think the matchups are all pretty good. So even though, you know, a couple of these teams might not really have a shot. I think ultimately the games are actually pretty intriguing. That I do agree with. Um, so this first one, Buffalo and Houston. Um, we hate the Bills. I don't know if you know that, by the way. What did we do? Have now? you got the memo? We just hate them. Tredavious White didn't make our all-pro team. Um, Tremaine Edmonds hasn't graded particularly well, even though he didn't miss a snap until week 16. As he's the youngest player ever to get back-to-back 100 uh, tackle seasons. That might not affect his production grade. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, also, this is, this is actually the company in a wide memo that says, please hate the Bills. Hmm. And this is it. NFL's tackle statistics, by the way, which are out by like 25 on them. Oh, the Bills, the Bills are actually the team that skews it the most. Right. Yeah. So Edmonds, by virtue of being like, the middle linebacker or the... I don't the know guy how with the dot on the Bills will get a tackle basically anytime he's near the ball. Kiko Alonso still accumulating tackles for the Bills in the 2013 season. It's still happening. I don't know if you do you play any IDP individual uh, defensive player fantasy. No, you don't. No, you don't even play IOP, right? No offensive player fantasy. No, but there are strategies out there that actually study the game books and say, get more bills because they get more free tackles from, yeah. from the game book. Like that's actually a, an IDP strategy right. because the NFL uses these unofficial stats. That's how a lot of this knowledge came because people were diving into, right. you know, looking for reasons. Some of these teams would have high tackle counts. Right. And the bills, you know, their score was one of the worst in terms of just throwing out tackles to specific people. Anyway, we don't hate the bills. Uh, who else do we hate? Oh, Josh Allen. You've hated Josh Allen for years now. <clears throat> nope. Ah, that's not how I heard it. We're just all very fair about everything that we say. Here's the, here's uh, what are you looking for in this game? Talk about the game, Sam. <laughs> so Nobody cares about what people think about us. Well, I will say so the, the you know, the bills have a really good defense. Um, what's interesting is because of all this hate that we do on the bills, there aren't that many players that are actually grading spectacularly well, right? They have a lot of guys that are grading. Okay. But the defense is better than that, right? That's the that's the third straight year under Sean McDermott. He has yes. done a nice job. 
of just making the players that they have better. And we've talked before on both sides of the ball that when there is a big discrepancy between, you know, overall unit performance and PFF grade, usually that's essentially answered by coaching, right? Now, you can also look at it and say, well, PFF's just wrong, right? But fundamentally, if we're grading every player on every play and it's saying X about a team, but they're performing to Y level, usually that is an indicator that the coaching scheme is doing a really good job. So I think that's basically what we're looking at here with the Bills, that the talent they have on defense, it's not spectacular. It's not mind-blowing. They're, they have a lot of solid players, a lot of good players, um, but the overall defense is playing at a much higher level that largely because of coaching. Yeah, Leslie Frazier, defensive coordinator. <laughs> I and mean, we've said this for a few years now, right? They make life difficult on quarterbacks. And the last time the Bills, or last year, when the, they didn't play this year, right? Bills and Texans, or did they? I just lost my train of thought again. Mm. But last year, did they play? No. Last year, Deshaun Watson... Worst game of his career. The lowest graded game of his career came against the Bills. It was 2018, other than his first week against the Jaguars, coming off the bench as a rookie. First ever, his debut. But other than that, it was actually the same grade. 32.4. It was week six of last year. Deshaun Watson. The stats aren't terrible. 15 of 25, 177 yards, uh, touchdown and two picks. It's not, I mean, it's not good, but it's not 32 grade terrible. What happened was there was multiple fumbles in the pocket. Deshaun Watson holding the ball too long, seven sacks in that game. And what the Bills do a really nice job of, how about this stat? Coverage grade against first reads, second best in the NFL. So when the quarterback looks to a side of the field and throws it that way, the Bills are the best in the NFL, or second best in the NFL from a coverage standpoint. So when Watson can't, when he has to come off his first read, that's when he tends to hold the ball a little bit too long. That's when you get to seven sacks. That's when you force fumbles in the pocket. The Bills have a good defense for that. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting is I think the Bills defense is actually fundamentally better from a scheme point of view than it's showing. So as much as the scheme is the reason it's as good as it is right now, I think they're potentially even better than that because they have the most missed tackles of any team in the NFL. Yeah, so no, they're actually in recent weeks. That's been right. Four. So they're actually getting they're getting to the point of making more plays and failing to do it because of missed tackles. So this defense is actually putting them in an even better position to be productive. Just tackle better. Right, only to see them miss a tackle and screw it up. Um, and that manifests itself the most in their run defense numbers, which are kind of interesting because like, I think Houston wants to, they're one of these teams that kind of wants to establish the run as much as the offense is largely predicated off Deshaun Watson playing hero ball. I think fundamentally they want to be able to run the ball. And again, the Bills you know, don't have amazing numbers against the run, but it's all because of missed tackles. They're actually fundamentally pretty sound from a gap defense point of view. They have one of the best figures of, um, from a yards allowed point of view in terms of yards before contact per rush, right? So essentially a bills defender is meeting the running back very early compared with any other defense in the NFL but they have one of the worst figures in the NFL when it comes to yards after contact because they miss tackles. So again, they're getting in a position to make a bunch of plays only to screw it up and see them, you know, come off worse. A very good defense despite the missed tackles. Yes. Is what you're getting at. But also, so that's a, that's one of those things I think that can go either way, right? Either the missed tackles are going to be a reason 
that the Texans are still able to have success on the ground and then have some plays here and there. Or at some point, they're not going to miss 16 tackles in a game. And if they cut that down to like right. five, you make a ton of plays that weren't there over the last few weeks. And I do like, you know, Matt Milano has been one of the best coverage linebackers in the NFL. Uh, Tredavious White is still awesome in the back end, even though he was not second team all pro. Both of those things are, you know, both. Of, yes. He wasn't all pro for PFF. Those things can both exist, right? Right. He's still awesome. They've done a nice job uh, with Micah Hyde on the back end through the years. I mean, they've just they've just developed guys that aren't really superstars into good, solid players. And they have six players with at least uh, 25 pressures. So it's not, you know, Jerry Hughes leads the way with 48, but uh, it's a whole bunch of different guys. They've, they're getting a, a pretty good year out of Shaq Lawson. Ed Oliver has been solid uh, as a rookie. Jordan Phillips has been pretty solid as a pass rusher as far as um, not as good as the 10 sacks would indicate. I don't know where those have come from with a mediocre pass rush grade, but you know, they have a lot of different guys contributing. The Tredavious white versus new Hopkins thing is one of the best one-on-one individual matchups of wildcard weekend it is. Like, at all. So, you know, Tredavious white is an incredibly talented, incredibly good corner, but he wasn't, you know, PFS all pro. But in addition to that, if he struggles, it's against bigger, more physical receivers, right? Which makes sense in that he's 5'11", 190 or whatever. He did have a nice interception against Gronk a couple of years ago. Mm. Oh, muscled him at the he point. Did. He actually bossed Gronk on that play. Which led Gronk to, you know, punch him in the face. Yeah. Yeah. Forearm him in the forearm shiver. But generally, if he's going to struggle, it's against bigger, more yeah. physical receivers. And sure. there is no receiver that likes making the game about that more than New Hopkins. Yeah. And I don't know how much man coverage you're going to see there. The Bills do a nice job of mixing it up. They don't have a scheme mm-hmm. that they rely upon. They play a lot of two high shells, which is cover two and quarters. So you might play off a little bit, allow some stuff underneath. Um, and then every now and again, they mix it up with the blitz and yeah. more man coverage behind it. So there's no set scheme that the Bills rely upon other than they just kind of know when to mix it up. So, you you know, they'll pick their spots as far as when you're going to see that one-on-one matchup. You haven't been listening to the Bills Mafia, Steve. They uh, they play exclusively zone coverage. Oh, exclusively zone. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's why uh, Tredavious White has given up some yardage this season. It's all zone. It's all zone. All zone. In um, zone, you're not supposed to cover anybody. No. Or, yeah, you put every, you leave everything in front of you. This defense bends but doesn't break. Are you supposed to commit seven penalties? Look. If if you're going to nitpick, I don't know what to tell you. Um, but anyway, so New Hopkins and White went up against each other last year. Um, Hopkins got a spectacular touchdown against really tight coverage. But White was flagged three times, I think, for defensive holding. Yeah. A couple of first downs in there as well. So uh, this season, arguably, I think White's worst game came, came against Devontae Parker, who was suddenly, you know, a decent big receiver. He's like 6'3", 210, something like that. So generally speaking, White struggles the most against guys that are, you know, four inches taller than him and outweigh him by 25 pounds. Um, so I would like to, I mean, if he is going to have a game that does sort of shut New Hopkins down, he's going to need to do a better job of holding up physically against, you know, that overmatched so, matchup. So that's a matchup to watch. And then, look, this Texans offense is different when Will Fuller's on the field. Battling yeah. injuries again. And there were there are parts of the season where the Texans offense just looks spectacular. You've got Nuke, you've got the deep threat in Will Fuller. Kenny Stills is a nice complimentary piece. And then they've got, you know, tight ends and backs to throw to where there have been some games where it's like, wow, look at them spread the ball around. We saw like the New England game. They did a really nice job against a good New England defense 
using backs, tight ends, nuke. They used everybody. So that's when I think the Texans are at their best. That's when Watson's at his best. It's not just the hero ball. You know, that perfect game is like spread the ball around, throw the ball within the structure of the offense, two or three hero plays where Deshaun Watson looks like an MVP and the Texans offense is rolling. The Bills do a nice job of taking away some of the easy stuff compared to other teams other than the tackling component. So that's where I think that's going to be a really nice matchup. Uh, Will, you know, Will Fuller banged up. Don't know if he's going to go, but I think Watson, if he's going to have a good game, you know, it's got to, it's got to be spreading the ball around. Yeah. And then the other side of the ball, it's all about Josh Allen pretty much. What are you going to get from Josh Allen? A guy that has been fantastic. We say nice things about him too. Fantastic at the intermediate level, 10 to 19 yard range. And he's been good running the football as a scrambler when he doesn't fumble. When he doesn't fumble as a scrambler, he's been good. And then outside of the New England game, when he hit those two deep shots, which were great, very inconsistent throwing the ball down the field. Probably the worst downfield thrower in the NFL this year. Yeah. Um, Actually, he is by far. Yes. Which is 20 plus yard throws. A pretty significant problem when you have one of the best deep threats in the NFL and John Brown getting consistently open. And also when you have a, you know, howitzer for an arm like what's the point in being able to throw it 80 yards if you can't put it in the same zip code as the guy you're throwing it to well it helps with the intermediate stuff that he's been good at gets the ball there quicker for yak opportunities yeah he has been slightly more accurate on the short and intermediate stuff which is nice and you know our guy kev cole wrote a really nice piece about how they're uh, how they're working how they're making good decisions essentially there have been games where they just come out chucking the ball right and historically, so this is where I think Josh Allen might have a shot compared to we've compared, you know, compared to the 2017 Jags with Bortles and the 2018 Bears with Mitch Trubisky. Right. We said those those are lower graded quarterbacks with really good defenses. That is a model that is tough to sustain year over year. However. Teams wanted to protect they wanted to protect Blake Bortles. Remember, the Jags were like, run, run, you know, pass on third and short, run, run, pass on third and short, open up some play action, get through a game with him throwing the ball 12 times and we're happy. Mm-hmm. The Bills have actually worked the other way. And I remember talking to our analytics guys about this guys all the time. It's like, well, if you have a bad quarterback, do you really want to pass? And they're like, yeah, that's the most favorable time. Keep chucking, keep chucking it because it actually gives them more opportunities. Pass when they're expecting run, all that stuff. And the Bills have done a nice job of just coming out, creating easier throws with Cole Beasley in the slot, creating plays off play action and letting Josh Allen throw the ball and create higher, you know, higher percentage opportunities in the short passing game. They're putting in position to succeed, despite a skill set that said, ah, his accuracy is not as good, and he doesn't have great blitz recognition. Like, they're kind of working around that a little bit. They're doing a nice job. Yeah, I think so. Um, They've also got Devin Singletary to help try and take some of the pressure off as well. He's having a pretty spectacular rookie year, has one of the best broken tackle rates of any running Much back. Much like he did in college. Exactly. He was right there with David Montgomery. He was, yeah. Um, like his ability, his, his ability to make team or people miss or break tackles, it's kind of weird. It doesn't make sense in the way that, so Montgomery, as you could see on tape, right? He had this short area or ability to change directions in short areas right before contact that meant that almost nobody ever got a solid shot on him, right? Right. And you could sort of see how he breaks tackles. Singletary doesn't really have that, and he's tiny. He's not very fast, but somehow just consistently breaks tackles and doesn't get stopped. So that's what, um, coming out, him and Montgomery, they were the guys. As far as forcing missed tackles, we're like, hey, these guys are great. And then Singletary goes to the combine and looks like Orlando Brown. 
mm-hmm. you know, just struggles in every single metric. And it's like, you know, with Orlando Brown, at least he's a right tackle. Like, I think we can hide that a little bit with Singletary. It's like, well, you want some level of athleticism, right? But it, it's one of those. I think the production has his previous production trumps his athleticism. Athleticism. Yeah. Well, it at least shows that, uh, you know, it's forcing missed tackles. There's something you need to consider beyond that. His, Four fumbles, though. That's the one thing that might be killing his grade a little bit because that'd be much higher. 74.9 rush, rushing grades. Good. That'd be even higher if he didn't fumble four times. Would you look at his measurables? Look at that. There isn't a single thing. That's Orlando Brownish from a spider standpoint, right? Yeah. So he's got his two best things are the broad and vertical jump in which he is the 41st and 57th percentile at his position, right? Other than those two things. A lot of single digit percentiles. Right. There. Other than those two things, he doesn't have anything above 20, the 20th percentile. And there's, yeah, there's a bunch of things that I can't even read because they're all in the middle. It was one, two, three. There's four things that are stacked on top of each other, basically in five or lower percentiles. Like he, his combine was abysmal. Um, and yet low hand size. What's it? Low hand size. Yeah. Yeah. Tiny hands. Fourth percentile hand size and four fumbles, a 27 fumble grade. Hmm. You, you're drawing a straight line between that. Well, yeah, I haven't studied it anywhere else except for Devin Singletary. His, uh, his wingspan is even more pitiful than his hand size. We don't want, you don't want too big of a wingspan as a running back and arm length. Yeah. Same thing. You don't. So it's, it's kind of remarkable that he's been able to do that. I'll also say this. The, the Texans don't have a great secondary. True. Uh, guys like Cole Beasley, John Brown should be able to get open. There should be some open throws for Josh Allen. I think, look, it's, it always comes down to the quarterbacks, but I think Josh Allen's going to have some opportunities and the Bills have a shot to slow down Deshaun Watson in the passing attack. The Bills have a legit shot in this game. I think it's going to be a good one. They do. Yeah. Now, Despite Watson having the worst game of his career against the Bills in 2018, they still lost. The Texans, I mean, the, the Bills lost. The Texans found a way to still win despite Deshaun Watson. Um, Watson's overall grade, he ended up, um, I don't even think in our top 10 quarterbacks just because of a couple. 11th, I think. Yeah, and a couple of rough games down the stretch. So, you 12th. Just, yeah, you just, there's too many, too many duds in there. Three games under 50. Last year, he had two games under 40. There's just too many of those games for a guy that at one point was an MVP candidate. So which Watson are you going to get? That's going to be the big the big question here in this one. Yeah, which Watson are you going to get? And then whether Josh Allen can make some of those big, you know, hero plays to offset the fact that, you know, down to down, he's leaving too much on the table. That was nice. That wasn't too mean. No, I mean, we still hate the Bills, but that was, that was fair and reasoned. I almost talked myself into picking the Bills. Are my, my picks final? Where are we here? I don't think I even put mine in, have I? You probably should. I'm not even on the sheet. You probably do that. I was acting like point. I was though. Yeah, no. It was I nice. took. I put my picks in though. I picked Houston. Okay. And I used the Houston Oilers abbreviation H O E, H O U H O U. People always oh. say, "Why do you go H S T for Houston?" It's like that's what the NFL database has because H O U is the Oilers. Yeah, it's already allocated. Why do we use B L T? Because I love B L Ts. It's still kind of a stupid reason, to be fair. It's just what the database gives us. BLT is, is Baltimore. Why do you think somebody from New York is calling me? Do you have radio? I, I always have fear that I've forgotten a radio hit and I get a call and it's like, oh yeah, you're live. I can't rule it out, but I don't think I do. Can you do a live radio hit on the podcast? I mean, that's <laughs> content. Hold down the cough button. <laughs> no, just let it be a part just of the do podcast. do it during the podcast. I mean, that'd no, be a no, great no. way. That's what we should do one time is just stack up our radio hits and make that a podcast. Mm. 
Yeah, I don't think I have radio, but I, I can't honestly rule it out. What's the worst place you've had to take a radio hit? I don't know if it was the worst place, but the one that's most recent, and therefore, is in my brain, was when we did the, we all went to the bar as the, the celebrate the new regime. Well, Friday afternoon bar. It wasn't anything crazy. Right. Friday afternoon. And I forgot I had radio. So, I, and it's supposed to be a video thing, right? Like a Skype video call. Yeah. I was like, well, that, that can't happen. But Skype I, from, from outside the bar. Yeah, so I, I called them. I was like, uh, my, my Skype, my laptop, the video is knackered. So I'll just have to do it by the phone. So I was basically huddled in the car park with a, a parking lot. Sorry, parking excuse lot. me. Don't know what you're uh, talking a parking about. Parking lot with the phone here, right? But it was Cincinnati weather in December. So it was windy. So I had like the jacket up around my head like this phone here trying to kind of do this without traffic noise and wind noise and that kind of thing, desperately hoping that somebody wasn't going to like come around the corner, see me huddled against the wall of a bar, jacket around my head, like that wouldn't look good. Wow, you look really sketchy out there. Yeah. I thought you were talking to your wife and then I was like, well, he's out there for a while. Mm. Must be serious. Yeah, no, it wouldn't look good. Radio hit. Yeah. Interesting. I've had to do one from an Uber one time. Completely forgot I had a hit. I was, yeah. you know, so I was Ubering somewhere and then uh, I did one outside too. Really windy. And I was like right outside somebody's office and the guy got really mad. It was like an artist. I mean, I don't even know what he was doing, but he was just in there and he was like, hi, I'm working here. And I was so loud. You know how loud I am. Yeah. I was so loud on the sidewalk that he was being disturbed hmm. and I had my kids in the car. I couldn't go in the car. <laughs> so I was outside on the sidewalk, windy, trying to find. It takes some, uh, some balls for the artist guy to start mouthing off at someone like you. I know, right? Yeah, I'm not intimidating. You really now. need to work on this. Like, there's I'm no, still on the monitor. Later, this is like later. the Josh Allen thing, right? There's no point in having a big arm if you can't get the ball down the field. There is no point in being your size if nobody is intimidated by it, except Khaled. Yeah, he's he's afraid of me. Right. That's why he hasn't moved over here. Well, he's like the only one. Unless right. you're going to put the fear of God into more people, you need to shrink. All right, I'm going to start. I'm going to start pushing people around over here. Dude, you need to. Maybe not physically, but. With well, I mean, you start with you start with the threat of physical, you know. And you think I should set that, like grab trash or something like that, push them around a little bit? No, no, no. You start you start with the threat of it. Oh, okay. And then if you know if they still not buying it, you're going to need to rough somebody. Trash off. is a good guy to like start threatening, threatening, right? Sure. Yeah. But then, Looks like young. you know, ultimately, if you get to the, the point 15. where they're still not buying it, then you're going to have to slap somebody around. You're going to have to grab Michael and just, you know, Michael, we're going to go prove a point out there. All right. Don't take it personal. I got to go establish dominance in this office. <laughs> I'm going to go. I'm taking Ian's monitor. It's a really nice monitor. It's been sitting there for two months since he left right, or whatever. Since he moved. I'm taking it. Today. Yeah. You take it and you make sure you stare down the rest of the IT department as you slowly walk Second back floor. to your desk. Second floor. Watch out. You're going to be afraid of me. Mm-hmm. All right. Who are you picking in this game? Uh, I don't know. The- I took Houston. Okay. Just so you know, I'm just buying you some time. Thanks. To make your decision. I'm probably going to take Houston as well. Houston at home. I hate the Buffalo Bills. I have more confidence in Watson. I think it's going to be a great matchup. Both sides of the ball. J.J. Watt's coming back too, by the way. Forgot right. To, forgot to add that to the mix. Did you see that crazy number where only three NFL players have a better grade against one-on-one rushes that J.J. Watt had this year against double teams before he got hurt? I saw it. That was your number. It was Ben's oh. number. Oh. You know, I, don't, I don't get into the all-blocking stuff independently. I require hand-holding for that. Yeah, you... Can't flatten that database. <laughs> no, not at There's all. No way. So Ben pulled that out. It's a cool number, though, right? J.J. Watt. Here's another cool number. Mm-hmm. J.J. Watt is leading the Texans in pressures this year. God, is that true? He's played eight games. How much is he leading it by? 
He's got five more than Whitney Merciless. Wow. That's bad. I'm typing that in. You should. Talk. Definitely. That's a good one. Um, but that's pretty cool, right? Like JJ Watt has a better grade against double teams than all but three players in the NFL have really against single teams. And one of those is Aaron Donald. Like that is a pretty absurd rate. JJ Watt legitimately does change the game for the Texans. Now he's probably not going to be hundred percent healthy because you know, the guy tore a peck eight weeks ago, whatever it was. Yeah. But at the numbers we're talking, even JJ Watt at 80% is a significant upgrade to this defense. I would make JJ Watt a tight end. My new theory, I would take all these freak defensive ends, like Clowney, tight end. I would make them all tight ends. More valuable there. Fair enough. I'm going to turn them all into tight Chase Young. Are you listening, end. Cleveland Browns? Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett. Tight end. Your number one tight end. Baker Mayfield's favorite target. Think about that. Have you phoned What's up? scary? Well, no, Haslam's looking for somebody with NFL experience. You don't really have that. I work with all three. Well, hang on. No, that teams. was head coaching. You could get in there as a GM. Have you called up Jimmy? I'm going to call... Um, I'm two degrees of separation away from Paul DePodesta based well, off the phone call. I get in was. the building. All right. Pitch him your Miles Garrett to tight end idea. AFC North is a little more difficult than the AFC South. Not going to lie. Well, it is, but we didn't think it was this time well, heading into this year. What's my frowns? Uh, can we beat the Ravens? Question mark. Like that's, that's not as. No, no, no. Don't focus on what you hard. like. Focus on oh, vision. Miles it's Garrett. to tight end. tight end. Yeah. Everybody on defense is replaceable except corner. So. Okay. So anyway, just to pitch him your Miles Garrett thing. We're going to score 50 get in points there. a game. I'll yeah. get Baker back on track. There you go. I'll say, Baker, no more commercials. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. Get in your playbook. Heard he had a beer the other night. That's unacceptable. A beer? Yeah. He's out having a beer. He's like, finish the season. That's what we're, they were reporting. He was out having a beer. That's what they do now. Sam Darnold's out looked like a friend getting mono and Baker's having a beer. Did you see the article where it was quoting Todd Haley, uh, you know, watching the Browns game and telling everyone that was listening, like he wanted Josh Allen number one instead of Baker. And it was being reported as if like this was, well, you know, he saw the writing on the wall. He knew what he was doing. The rest of them were screwing it all up. But Todd Haley wanted the right quarterback. He knew like Baker's played like crap this year and he's still been better than Josh Allen. Oh boy. You're absolutely right, but boy, you're going to get torched. There's so many thumbs down going right well, look, now on the YouTube channel. I've already made it clear. I've already made it clear that apparently I hate the bill, so I might as well ride that. Baker's interceptions are on him. It's true. Not none of them. Just, you know, a few of them aren't. Most of them aren't. He got away with other ones that weren't, though. Yeah, that's true. Like he's I say, still, he played like crap. The, he's still taking the ball, care of the ball way better than Allen. Baker played badly and was still better than Josh Allen. So this idea that like all the intercepts. I wanted Allen first and said it, that still doesn't make you right. You're still wrong. You're just less wrong than you were when he, at the time. Allen's in a better situation. Like, at the time, it was absurd. Now, it's slightly less absurd, but you're still wrong. Right. The gap's been bridged yes, a little bit. That's what I'm saying. They've come closer together. But anybody taking Allen right now over Baker is still kind of crazy. I would agree. Good. Did you make a decision on this I game? I did. Yet? I took the Texans. All right. We're both taking the Texans. Saturday night, New England Patriots hosting the Tennessee Titans. The red-hot Tennessee Titans. Everybody's darling. Yeah. So this is annoying. It's like, you know, when you, uh, you, know, you discover a band or a TV show or something, you're like the first person on it, and then it becomes huge, and now everybody likes it. And you're kind of like, well, I mean, yeah, I know I was first on this, but it's not that good. Like, you know, dial it back a little bit. The Titans, right? It's like right when this was the matchup immediately after last week, it's like, honestly, I think Tennessee could go in there and beat the Patriots. 
Now everybody's saying it. It's like, well, okay. I mean, how it much could. it doesn't mean it's that likely. That was my immediate. Now look, we we were very nuanced about it on Monday. I said if we if we roll in next Monday morning and you tell me that the Patriots defense slowed down this high powered Tennessee offense, I'd say okay, I'm not surprised. Or if you told me that Tennessee dropped forty on him in Foxborough, which doesn't happen all the time, but if you said that, I wouldn't be that surprised. Like it's not that crazy, right? So I could see it going either way. I think if you're looking at it from New England's perspective, how much recency bias do you have? Because two weeks ago, they beat the Bills at home in probably their cleanest offensive game. And then they did their old school, you know, Josh Allen's trying to lead a game winning drive and they shut it down. They win by a touchdown, right? That was like classic Patriots. Brady plays efficient football. Defense shuts it down. They win last week. Brady plays horribly. And then still they make the comeback. They still take a lead in the fourth quarter and the defense doesn't hold it. So you kind of have both extremes. And if you're just going by the most recent thing you said, it's like, man, this New England team's got no shot against Tennessee. But if you said this two weeks ago, you'd be like, oh, they just beat Buffalo. They could do this against Tennessee as well. It's got to be somewhere in the middle for New England, right? Yeah. Although even against Buffalo, I mean, my my take coming out of that was that like that felt like a lot of hard work just to be, you know. It was a good Buffalo Half defense. Decent. They put up 24 no, it was, a good but Buffalo defense. They, it was, and they did, but it felt labored, which is my point, right? If you have to make, if you have to do that much work just to look functional. They did scheme it up a lot, and they did a really nice right. job. Now, I'm not saying, it, the, if you have to do that much work to do it, that becomes way harder to replicate, you know, long term. Now, they don't need to do it long term. They just need to do it one more time. But it's just harder than, you know, we just need to have that kind of game again. Like, we just need to execute to that level again. This is kind of interesting, though, because insane as it is to say, Ryan Tannehill is a dramatically better quarterback heading into this game than Tom Brady, based on all of the evidence we have this year. Um, He finished the season as our number one graded quarterback overall. Yeah, he's been unbelievable. We've spent like the last six weeks waiting for this thing to drive off a cliff and it hasn't yet. It's, go, it's still climbing. Right. He's still getting That's better. That's the thing. <laughs> if anything, it's going in the other direction. Now, there are concerns in that he's, you know, he takes a lot of sacks that he probably shouldn't. And those are bad plays that really hurt an offense. Um, and the Patriots, so like the Bills, mentioned the first read thing. The Patriots are number one in the NFL. Right. Coverage grade, taking away the first read. And I think, the, so they do it differently, right? The Bills just play really sound, mostly zone coverage. <laughs> the Patriots play press man coverage. And they're just they're up in your face and they're grabbing. They're trying to get away for withholding. And they're just they're, you know, a very aggressive man coverage defense. They take you off that first read. So same thing, just like Watson. If you take him off his first read, he holds the ball a long time. Tannehill, he is the same thing as Mariota when it comes to that holding the ball and taking sacks. Yeah, I mean, fundamentally, when you're going into the into Foxborough against the Patriots in the playoffs, you are going to face one of the best game plans to stop you that you faced all season long, right? Yeah. So Ryan Tannehill may be running this incredible stretch of phenomenal play. At the very minimum, he's going to face the biggest challenges he's faced because the Patriots, A, have a really good defense, B, are really good at taking away what you want to do. So he's going to have challenges that he hasn't necessarily had all season long. But he has been making some incredible throws. He hasn't been turning the ball over that much. Um, he has created or been part of the creation of this A.J. Brown number one receiver phenomenon. Yep. Where as soon as Tannehill got out there, A.J. Brown became this incredible wide receiver to the point where him against Stephon Gilmore 
becomes one of the best one-on-one matchups of the weekend as well. Really does. So also you've got Derrick Henry, right? This 250 pound behemoth. that's the league rushing champion that behind this reasonable offensive line, like generally the strength of the Titans offense going up against the strength of the new England defense should be pretty fascinating. But ultimately if Tannehill plays as well as he's been playing, they're going to score some points. Oh, they absolutely will. And um, that matchup, if we do see Gilmore versus Brown, which seems likely, mm-hmm. right? Gilmore generally matches up against the, not always the best receiver, but the one that fits his size and skill set, right. and that's A.J. Brown. Gilmore's got the number one coverage grade the last couple of years when playing single coverage. So any sort of one-on-one coverage. A.J. Brown, highest passer rating when targeted in single coverage. So great matchup. Something's got to give there. Um, the other thing that they could do is take... Um, a J.C. Jackson or someone else and then lean a safety to A.J. Brown and then put Gilmore on Hall of Famer Corey Davis. But I don't anticipate that happening. No. I think you probably have him and Brown and some safety help. And if that becomes the situation where Tennessee is able to get some points and maybe more of a struggle than it's been the past few weeks, now the attention focuses the other side of the ball. Can Tom Brady and this offense be functional? And I think that's a legitimate question. Now, they're in a great spot because Tennessee's defense is not good, right? But neither was Miami's, and they struggled. Yeah, I mean, Tennessee's offense, defense is, they've, they've always just been that, the last couple of years, just been that middle-tier capable defense. Uh, Malcolm Butler looks like he's healthy, right? Oh, no, Dory Jackson, sorry. Hmm. I'm like, who's coming back here? Uh, Butler's out for the year. Jackson's healthy, so they've been you know a little banged up in the secondary. Still have Kevin Byard back there. A little bit better pass rush than they've had in recent years. And last year, we talked about last year's matchup with Watson and the Bills. Last year's matchup, they held the Patriots to 10. And that's when New England's offense wasn't wasn't great, but they were better. They had Josh Gordon. They had a healthy Julian Edelman. They had Gronk. And Tennessee did a really nice job in Tennessee making life difficult. And that seems to be the um, one of the... Tr- the New England's offense hasn't been good in general. But in the last two years, when they went up against Matt Patricia in Detroit, other than week two against Miami and Flores, when Flores did a nice job last week, a lot of these former Patriots connections, not necessarily just assistants, but variable former connection, who kind of know the Patriots offense a little bit, they've done a pretty good job against the Patriots offense in recent years. And honestly, even if you don't know their offense at this point, I, think, I mean, it's the same basic game plan, right? You play some man and right. I mean, I think at this pressure. point, the game, the blueprint for beating it is firmly established, right? Yeah. It was already kind of established when they had good players. And it was like, look, you still need to play a lot of man coverage. That's how you slow them down. You need to find a way of stopping Gronk and then make other people beat you. The same thing is now true, right? All of the things that were originally part of the game plan still remain intact. I play a bunch of man coverage. That's where they have problems. Only now you don't have to worry about Gronk. You only have Julian Edelman to deal with. It's right. like, right. So now dedicate all your resources to taking away Edelman, make him go anywhere else and play man coverage and basically say, all right, how are you going to win? And, and so they don't if, have an answer yet. And if New England's offense is going to have success, we'll be sitting here Monday morning saying, wow, there's Muhammad Sanu with a breakout or there's Nikhil Harry. Right. One of those guys here. is going to have to have a big game. And I think from a New England standpoint, they got to go into this and say, OK, either Sanu or James White has to win some matchups or Rex Burkhead, you know, one of these um, receiving options has to win some matchups. And then I think they, if they could get four or five scheme plays out into kill Harry, put him in space, let him run after the catch, you know, have him actually pull in one of the back shoulder fades that they throw him. 
I mean, that's, that's where they're going to have success. The other element to the game plan that I would employ um, is I would 100% treat the receiving backs of the Patriots as wide receivers. Yeah. Cover them with DBs. Do not even think about putting a linebacker right there. If they want to win the game through taking their receiving backs on the field and running the ball, fine. Like If that's their game plan, let them do it because that is a brutal way particularly to try and keep pace with an offense that's scoring points. Titans, Titans have the number three run defense grade in the NFL this year. Right. So, so trust they, those big guys up front to play the run. Yeah, if they think they can win that way, I would 100% let them try it because that's that's a, a, a grueling way to try and keep pace with an offense that's capable of putting points up. Um, and if you don't do that, Guys like James White and Rex Burkhead will beat your linebackers for big plays. Right. So treat them as receivers, man them up in, in man coverage with safeties or cornerbacks, and say again, even find James, someone to win. James White really hasn't even been the same guy in that respect either. I think that's a, like as far as a lot of his production has been screen game and a little bit of here's an open throw and just kind of finding seven when it could have been three type of stuff. He hasn't really been that, you know, two way go and creating a ton of separation and one on one. So it's not even even all the other things that have gotten worse in New England. And James White's kind of one of those guys just because he's not really winning his one on one matchups this year like he has in the past. And we're a couple of years removed from James White's like the third or fourth option and he's still winning. And it's like, OK, how do you stop this New England offense? So it's a completely different world. Yeah. Um, all that said, I did ultimately pick New England. Um, they are favored by five, mm. according to Vegas. There's that home, you know, there's probably a lot of overreaction to the Dolphins game, which is bad. Yeah. Because New England's going up against the Dolphins team and they were treating it like a playoff game. They said, this is a playoff game because if we win, right. we skip a week. Yes. It's a huge game and New England still failed. Right. Mm-hmm. But something about an actual playoff game in New England, they don't lose there often. It's the first wild card game they've played in 10 years. That's insane. Yeah. And it's all because they did lose last week to the Dolphins. So um, a lot of crazy stuff going on there. But um, I like New England to win. And then, you know, likely I would probably pick them to lose to Kansas City the following week. I'm going to stay on this thing because you were first on Tennessee. Well, one of the first. I think everybody was loving Tennessee because they put up ton of points against Houston and their well, must win game and the Patriots lost to the Dolphins. I think it says more about the Patriots than it does the Titans, honestly. Yeah. Like the Titans have as long as Tannehill continues to play well. And honestly, there's a very real chance that like the Tannehill thing lasted all the way till the postseason. And then we get one playoff game where he just stinks. But there's just as real of, you know, sure. Way but that he keeps, you know what I mean? Like we're waiting all regular season for this thing to go south and then playoff Tannehill becomes Miami Dolphins, Ryan Tannehill. And the whole thing has just gone to hell. That's not beyond the realms of possibility at all. But if he plays in the playoffs, the way he's been playing the regular season, New England are in trouble because they're not good. Like yeah. that is my, my biggest thing here. They have had a cakewalk of a schedule, right? And still lost a few games. Their defense is good, but if Tennessee's offense is still cooking, it's not going to be good enough to stop them. And I just don't think that their offense is capable enough to score the kind of points they'll need to to match to to keep pace. So, yeah, I just think I think it's a bad matchup for the Patriots overall. And fundamentally, I don't think they're a particularly good team, despite making the postseason. I'm not going to be surprised either way. Well, that's one way to ensure you're right. How's that? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm gonna pick New England. I could see them doing a good job. 
against the Tennessee offense, I could see them getting torched. That's where I am. Tennessee's defense, I think, is going to be a big, a big key here. Yeah, I mean, what I their think defense does against New England's offense. Do they do they play up to their ability, or do do they get torched by an offense that's been meh? The way we sketch this out, I think that's what the entire game hinges on: is yeah. whether their defense can actually stop an offense that doesn't look like it's capable of getting going anyway. Because it could be this middle ground where it's like the Patriots don't shut down Tennessee's offense. Tennessee's offense doesn't score 40, but it's like they score 21. Right. They score 24, and then the Patriots have to find a way to score 24, 27. And that's been a struggle this year. And that comes down to them versus the Tennessee defense and, you know, where those few plays come from. Mm -hmm. All right. So you're taking Patriots. I'm taking Titans. And a very rare decision by the NFL to go for all AFC one day and NFC yeah. the next day. But I think they're trying to finagle the the primetime games the right way. And Tannehill versus Brady in primetime was. Well, anytime too you good. put Ryan Tannehill in primetime, you got to get well, it done. 2019 Ryan Tannehill. 2019 Ryan Tannehill. It's still it's insane, a, by the way, that he's been playing at this level. This level. Unbelievable. I'm just thinking about it. I'm just like, this is the, cl- he's in the class of 2012 was a first round pick. Mm-hmm. A class that had Andrew Luck, Robert Griffin, Russell Wilson. Yeah. Brandon Whedon. Yeah. In this particular season by Ryan Tannehill, Nick, Foles. Be, Nick Foles, Kirk Cousins. Yeah. This particular season, even though it hasn't been a full 16 games might be the best season out of all of them. I mean, it's one of the best seasons we've seen. And it's up there with what in, it's in up there with the anyway. best stuff that Andrew Luck did. Luck did it for longer, but like and Wilson up there, yeah. And, uh, okay, Wilson hasn't. Other than this year, hasn't really had that really peak season. He's just been consistently very good. But this is like incredible. It's been ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. All right. Sunday games. You know, uh, tell us about your shirt. Oh, proper cloth. You got your shirt. Ni- ah, nice shot too. Yeah. Shirt. Thank you. Yeah, proper cloth. That's what we're wearing. Propercloth.com slash pff is where you can also get your shirt $20 off using the promo code PFF20. It's all custom made, fits my long arms, fits my slim body. It's great. Hmm. You're just uh, slim. you're dressed today to try and blend into the background entirely. Oh, that's, good. that's good. Look, if, if the background go, can't handle me wearing one of my blue shirts, that's the background's problem. You going entirely dark. Um, this is one of my shirts. This is one of my proper cloth shirts. It is. It is. It's good material, man. It's good material. Fits nice. Yeah. Fits even though I, you know, added a little weight during the holiday. <laughs> we got to get back to hooping it up, man. What? Don't give me that crap. I was out there today. Oh, were you? My new buddy, Paul. How'd you do? Fine. You, new year, same old bullshit. You were nowhere. Maybe tomorrow. I'll be there. Why? If what was tomorrow, your, what Tuesday. was the reason for your... I am knee deep in my project managing. Huh. I'm managing a big secret project. Because the other day, the other side of the new year... We had agreed that the the second Thursday the second we would be out there, yeah, but noon balling it up. Yeah, maybe. And you were like, "Yeah, okay, I could do that." See you the tape, tape my busted shoes up. You were we my, had a whole plan. I got sneakers coming in right this weekend, and then January seventh, and then it? whenever it was don't, late late last night or early this morning. Don't hijack. I get room. I get a declined message from you regarding you the noon ball. I'm managing projects huh. and products. Okay. So proper cloth, custom fit shirt. It is the best fabric producers around the world. Each one of their shirts goes through an extensive quality control testing. So you're getting the absolute best in quality and craftsmanship. I love my shirts. I love how they fit. Mm-hmm. And you love how you can design them. I do. I think, yeah, those are the, the two real selling points for this stuff. One, you can design them any which way you want, whether it's 
We all both dark went with blue. the slate buttons here. I we said. did. Whether it's, you know, color, pattern, whatever, the actual, you know, design look of the shirt, but also, you know, what type of cuffs they have, what types of collar they have. You with your English spread or whatever it is. Always English spread. Me with something slightly more normal. Although this actually might be an English spread as well. You just have unique collars and cuffs. And well, I get the, shirt. yeah, the interior done. Yeah. Um, Austin got his monogrammed. Yeah. He, and he got yeah, a monogram like on the collar. So yeah. even, or uh, the cuff rather, even the monogramming, you can choose like where you put it, right? Yeah. Because obviously you don't want to be the jackass like Austin that puts it on his cuff. Absolutely you not. You want to hide it somewhere more. He obviously didn't because, you know. I'm all know. about options. And this all is you what have I'm saying. Options. Millions of options. Custom made and they fit. And, and they're great. And they're good value. So go check it out. Propercloth.com slash PFF. If you use the gift code PFF20, you get $20 off your first shirt. They start as low as $80, which tells me you can get a shirt for 60 bucks. It does. Using this promo code, which is unbelievable. Makes shopping so much easier for guys like us. See why Proper Cloth is the best custom shirt maker. If you were getting, you know, standard freak size shirts, how much would you typically have to pay for that? Oh, standard freak size? Yeah. Hundreds. No, no, like you're, yeah. You have to go to somewhere else and be like, dude, I need something that has, so you, you need, know, gorilla it, arms. and It's either hundreds for custom or you go to the big and tall store, <laughs> which is really the fat store. And... You're more likely to find something that's like 17 XL instead yeah. of yeah, yeah. XL tall. So I'd get something that's like this wide yeah. just to get enough length and the, the arms and all that stuff. Remember, so it was I think it was last year. You probably year. get it for like 30 bucks. Right. A nice, a nice shirt that doesn't fit. I think it was last year when I went to the outlet mall and I sent you a picture of the, uh, the like the Lacoste sweaters that were still there in the rack. Yeah. It was like seven XLs. It was hanging in a rack that was like, you know, neck height for me. That's the big and tall store. And the bottom of this thing was like dragging on the ground. Like you could have put it on, but it would have been, you could have fit three of you in there. The, I'm just saying the big and tall store is more big than tall. That's all. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. This is yeah. tall and slim is ish. Slim ish. It's like, true. It, it's yeah. not. Well, they seem to work on the basis that you're both right at the same you're time. You're big and tall. Yeah. Not big or tall. Right. Right. If you're, I mean, this is the big and tall store, not yeah. the big or tall store. You for that, you want somewhere else. Proper cloth is whatever you are. <laughs> if you're big or tall or small or Sam or whatever you are, you got it. It's all custom made. What am I? Just somewhere in the middle. You're you. You're just your unique, you know, okay. former rugby long arm guy. That's, it, that's sure. it. That's all what right. you are. All right. Let's go to the NFC Minnesota Vikings at the New Orleans Saints. Hmm. This is the one from the weekend that it, I struggle to find a way the Vikings win this game. Vikings fans also hate you because you say that all the well, time. All right. I struggle Tell me I'm find, wrong. Like, why can't they win? Because they're not that good. And the Saints are really good. Like, the Saints were basically one of three teams that missed out on the number one overall seed in the NFC through a quirk of games late in the season. The Saints are as good as any team in the NFC. The Vikings are not. I agree, but... Right, so shut the hell up. You said, you said you can't. What's happening out there? You said you can't find a way that the fight. You, you can't find any way. I didn't say I can't. I said I struggle to see a way they win this game. So find a way. What Mike Zimmer's defense? He could slow down Drew Brees in the passing attack a little bit. Yeah, I mean, there's a bunch. Like, there's the ways they can win is that if everything conceivable goes right. Kirk Cousins like, in a dome. It's not like you're asking him to play outdoor football. You know, he was terrible like, in the dome against the Packers the other day. It's an early game as well. He doesn't have to play. You know, oh, it's not night. at night. <laughs> the only thing is like the, the whole world's watching. 
Well, he so, doesn't know. You just tell him, look, it's 1 p.m. The muscle memory will think it's 1 p.m. It's not an early game. Yeah, it's an early game. Want to it's games not prime I'm, time. It's just, just I, a regular game. When I was coaching, I used to joke. I, I was coaching in high school or whatever, and you'd see some kids, and they were sophomores, and like our high school baseball coach was like really intimidating. Like He was like a legend in town and stuff like that, and you could tell some some of the guys got like kind of nervous when he was around. You know, They were nice and laid back, and then when he's around and you got to perform in front of the coach, you get a little nervous. I'm like... He shows up for every game. So you better figure this out, right? You can't be nervous in front of the coach. You got to. That's what Kirk is like. Like it's prime time. Everybody's watching. Something's different. Hmm. But it's like, oh, it's one o'clock. There's nine games on. Now only Minnesota fans are watching. I'm okay. Right. I'm good. Everybody's watching at one o'clock this week, though. It's the only game. He doesn't know that, though. You think the body clock? Yeah, the body clock and the muscle memory is just thinking this is just a regular 1 p.m. game that only Vikings fans are into. He's just such a morning. Like, Kirk also strikes me as the guy that's up at 4 in the morning, and he's got a nice routine, and, you know, 1 o'clock's kind of like the peak of his day instead of, you know, the afternoon. It's like the peak. That's possible. So he's, like, ready for bed by prime time. Maybe that's why he can't win. That's true. That's what it is. Anyway. Kirk, early riser. he would need to play, like, 1 p.m. Kirk. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, The Saints' defense... Or the Saints offense, rather, would need to struggle against Mike Zimmer's defense. They're probably going to need to, you know, get a lucky bounce of the ball here and there. Like They can win, but a lot of things need to happen. I mean, I keep referring to last year's games. Um, the Saints scored 30 last year against the Vikings, but it was actually one of Breeze's worst games uh, throwing the football last year. So they did a nice job against him. That's, you know, if you could, if you could duplicate that, it's really tough to still score 30. That was the game where Kirk did have the pick six. That was part of the 30. Had the pick six, which were like, ah, it's kind of Stephon Diggs shutting down on the route. That was a Sunday night football game. Everybody was watching his night, though. Nighttime. Nighttime game. And it was at home that time. Yeah, I know. It's going to be tough. The Saints, the Saints should be favored by a lot. They're a good team. Mm. They're a really good team. Mm. I think this is the, is this the, biggest, this is the biggest spread of the week. Saints at home. But don't forget the Saints lost in the beached whale game and all that stuff. So, <laughs> the beached whale game. Right? They did. You they never did. know. Um, Saints are rolling, man. I told you. They are. Breeze isn't even grading well the last two weeks, and they're still putting up a ton of stats or a ton of points. Jared Cook has been fantastic as a compliment to the great Michael Thomas, um, to Kamara out of the backfield, who's starting to kind of, you know, look like he's running full speed and everything. I mean, there's a lot going right for the Saints right now. Yeah. And I think a few things for the Vikings have cooled off uh, at the same kind of period. Yeah. Um, Danelle Hunter was on pace for like 100 plus pressures over the season. Obviously, they shut him down week 17. He played like a snap. But his rate of pressure cooled off over the second half. Everson Griffin hasn't been nearly as dominant. Their defense generally is not nearly as imposing as it can be or has looked at times. You know, it's more of this sort of good, not great unit. Xavier Rhodes it's not scaring anybody. We said for a while, you know, they might not think they might think about benching him. Yeah, uh, and so the, in those two pass rushers you're talking about going up against the best tandem, right, of tackles in the NFL. Ryan Ramchak, our highest graded offensive tackle this year at 91 overall. Teron Armstead at left tackle, fantastic. Also, if the Vikings play a lot of their zone heavy type stuff, like the Colts did in that game where Breeze was 29 for 30 and just didn't miss. Mm. I mean, there's again. There's something to him in the dome with just like the tempo that they play, the confidence that he plays with, knowing exactly where he's going with the ball, knowing that he's going to put the ball right where he wants it. Really tough to beat. I don't have there's I don't think there's a game plan to beat Drew Brees when he's at his best. You kind of hope he 
doesn't see it right, holds the ball a little bit too long, you know, does stuff that's more uncharacteristic, has a, has a bad decision or two that's uncharacteristic. I mean, you almost have to hope, right? Because I don't think there's a way to like, oh, we'll just we'll just disguise coverage or we'll just run this coverage or that. I mean, there's just there's no answer, right, for Breeze, particularly at home. Yeah, and that's you know why I think they're going to have some problems. Um, the Vikings should get Dalvin Cook back. That should make a significant difference to their offense as much as we preach this idea that running backs are kind of interchangeable. At the very minimum, Dalvin Cook shouldn't be responsible for two turnovers the way Mike Boone was a week ago. Yeah, I mean, so so here's the way the Vikings win, right? It's Is it one of those games where just the play calling is perfect and it's like you get the five-yard run and you're working play action off of it and it's just... You know, there's 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 just those games where it feels like you're you're just efficient, right? You're getting four to six per play. You're 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 moving the defense around, and they do that. They do a nice job of that. The bootleg stuff. They get the defense moving horizontally. Then all of a sudden, you hand it off to Dalvin, and he's got you know six yards of room, and he turns it into fifteen. And um, I mean, I think it's just going to take one of those type types of efforts from the Vikings offense and keeping it nice and simple for Kirk. He's going to have to make a few downfield throws which he showed earlier in the year and less so in recently. So that's the thing, right? That this, um, you could say the same for pretty much any offense, but I think the Vikings offense more than a lot is able to scheme up these shots. Um, and when Kirk's been at his best, obviously they've connected and he's hit some ridiculous ball placement on some of these passes. Absolutely. Like the, even against green Bay where they get, you know, they get beat uh, on Monday night. The, the touchdown to Jair Alexander over Jair Alexander to Stefan Diggs. Like Diggs destroyed Alexander on on the release, but Alexander's good, so he got right back in his hip pocket by the time the ball arrived. If that ball was not dropped into a bucket in the end zone, that's not a touchdown. Right. Like at Kirk Cousins' best, he's hit those and been a huge part of them being successful. But he's also missed guys. You know whether it's just out of Diggs's reach deep, like basically for them to beat the Saints, there's no margin for error on those. Like you can't you can't pass up a shot deep. The digs or Thielen should be back as well. Like if one of those guys gets behind a defense and you air it out there, you need to connect. You can't miss that throw. It it might be oversimplifying things, but that's kind of like my, like when I look back at this Viking season and I think about the games that they won, I'm like, man, Kirk hit those balls. Like he hit those shots and they were great. And then there's other games where it's like, man, he had those opportunities and he left them on the table. Yeah. I mean, that's oversimplification, but there's going to be, Death by a thousand paper cuts outside zone here, bootleg there, screen there. But you got to hit those those shots or you're, you're going to score 10 and it doesn't matter. Their real problem is, you know, they haven't really beaten anybody that's good yet. Um, we thought that game was the Dallas game. And then it turns out the Dallas kind of suck. Um, they lost to Kansas City. Aria was close. They lost to Seattle. Again, it was close. Dallas was still good. They just lost so many close games. I mean, were they good? Um, yes, they lost to Green Bay twice. The second time got kind of embarrassing by the end of it. Um, so, you know, they, they really haven't beaten a team that's actually been good this year. Yeah. So now they're going to go up against a team that isn't just good, but might be as good as any team in the NFL on the road. I mean, that just doesn't, this is, we're not teeing things up for a great Vikings victory is all I'm saying. What about narrative wise? Everybody, you know, it's the playoffs. QB legends are made or not made, right? Kirk Cousins has to get over this hump of winning big games. So that's on the line. Drew Brees, 
is looking for that elusive like second Super Bowl run. Hasn't yeah. had, had one 10 years ago in 2009. If he does make it this year, it would involve beating the Vikings and going through, most likely going through Green Bay. It would have to go through Green Bay and then most likely going through San Francisco. There's always the chance San Francisco could lose and actually the Saints could host the NFC Championship. But if that all happens, I mean, that's, you know, I love it because Breeze and Rodgers and Wilson and guys that have already won Super Bowls and then guys like Watson and Lamar and Mahomes, guys who are just trying to build their playoff legacy. Like, that's what we're at right now. Playoff legacy type of stuff. And Breeze has a another, not as nice as the bye, but another golden opportunity to kind of move that forward. Also, we're going to hear about the Minneapolis miracle about 7,000 times. Yes, we are. Which, as Booger will tell you, is just another in a long line of incidents where the Vikings have been screwed by bad luck. Those poor Vikings. The ironic thing is... Well, like, because it, it's kind of true, right? It, it well, put them into the way of the Foles train. That's true. Fundamentally, his point was actually right. It's just that, you know, not not that. No. It gave the Vikings the opportunity mm. to go get destroyed by Nick Foles. Yeah. And the Eagles. But we're going to hear about that a million times. Saints want revenge. Yeah. Uh, Eric Kendricks in the middle of the D and Alvin Kamara in the passing game. Nice little matchup there. Um, Look, I say it every week. I like Zimmer. I know the defense hasn't been nearly as good this year as it's been in recent years, but I like, you know, I like the mental chess game of Zimmer against a a breeze led team. I think that defense is going to need to find some turnovers from somewhere, whether it's Kendricks you know, snatching one somewhere across the middle, whether it's the safety duo, Harrison Smith, Anthony Harris, one of those guys coming up with a big play. I don't think that this defense is going to be able to just be better than the Saints for enough to stop them. And I keep coming back to this is the type of defense that Breeze should pick apart. And, you know, the ones, there's no game plan against Breeze, but again, I would say do whatever you can to take away the short stuff and make him hit, hit, hit balls, you know, hit passes over your head. Mm-hmm. right not that he can't do it but just it's a lower percentage right and he's not going to complete 80 percent of his passes if you keep having him chuck it down the field and remember the playoff games last year he kind of started off he floated one up against the eagles he ended up getting picked in overtime after that whole um pass interference debacle against the rams you know he had some issues throwing the ball down the field at times in the playoffs last year so um something to keep an eye on there but i think you're going to need special kirk that's how the vikings are going to win yeah, he's going to hit those deep shots. Hope that uh, Bree- Breeze makes a few mistakes. Other than that, though, I'm definitely going Saints. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What Vikings fans are so mad at you. Well, look, don't bitch at me. The, this is the biggest you, line of, this, of the week. Do they know your history? Green line thinks, if anything, the line is underselling the difference really? between the two sides. Yeah, you have them closer to nine, maybe. Uh, eight and a half, I think, is what Green yeah. line has. Keep an eye on that. Green line, PFF Elite. 8.6. There you go. So we like the Saints across the board here at PFF. You want to tell us, tell everybody about our friends over at Mint Mobile? Yes. A fine new addition to the PFF podcasting sponsorship empire that we're building over here. Uh, Mint Mobile. uh, Essentially, you ever feel like you're getting screwed by your current wireless provider? Every month. There you go. Every single month I got to pay that bill. That's what I'm saying. So Mint Mobile can cut your wireless bill down to just 15 bucks a month. What? Yeah. That's way um, less than I pay. It is way less than you pay. And the reason they're able to do it is because they basically cut out all the overheads, right? You see like the million of stores that set up with nobody in them, just yes. waiting for you to walk in there and buy a phone plan. They don't have any of that. It's all online. Oh, so nice all of that overhead immediately out of there. Um, you stop paying for unlimited data you'll never use. You choose between plans with three 
eight or 12 gigabytes of 4G LTE data a month. Um, and really the whole thing is, seems like a deal with no drawbacks. That's yeah. what I'm saying. The too good to be true type deals. Yeah. Yeah. And it's true. It, yeah. Then that's the thing, right? The reason, so what's the catch, right? There is none. The, the point is it's this cheap because they just cut out all the crap that you shouldn't be paying for in the first place because it's, you know, built on a business model that existed in the 1990s. Um, Smart. Yeah, like it. it really is. So uh, they have sent each of us a SIM card so we can fire up the old Mint Mobile and start saving. I like it. Um, if you go to mintmobile.com slash PFF, that's how you can cut your wireless to 15 bucks a month. Um, figure out which of the plans you want. Dive in. You can take your current number with you. You don't have to like, you know, change phone numbers and all that kind of crap. That's that would be the, that would be the catch, right? right? You lose your number. So you keep your number, keep your number. You can port the whole thing across to mint mobile, save a fortune, um, and don't have any of the giant pain that currently exists in, you know, cell phone ownership. Well, I suggest all of our listeners check that out. Where is it? Mintmobile.com. Mintmobile.com slash PFF. Go check it out. You also get uh, free shipping to your door when you sign up for your SIM card. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks to Mint Mobile. Indeed. Be sure to check that out. All right, let's get to the last game of the weekend. Seattle Seahawks traveling to the Philadelphia Eagles. The Seahawks are favored on the road, Mm. right? The only road team that's actually favored. We've talked about the NFC East. The Eagles backpedal into the playoffs. That would be why the Seahawks are favored. Also because the Eagles are so banged up offensively. Yes. Everybody's hurt. Mm-hmm. But this should be a good one as well, though. I think that this is another one of those games where everyone has kind of gone too far. And there is a reasonable chance that the Eagles win this game. Um, this isn't new for you. You've been saying that the NFC East team, whoever gets in, so I have it's a real yeah. chance to win. I have, but a lot of that was predicated off the idea that they were probably going to face like the next worst NFC team. Yeah. Where Seattle were another one of those teams that were like right there for the number one seed until the final weeks. Yeah. But have they been fool's gold, you know, winning a lot of close games and all that through the, well, the year? so I think, I think Seattle is still fundamentally very good this year, but as you know, Philadelphia's injury crisis is like a whole different level, right? They ran out of everybody. Yeah. Like they're almost completely out of bodies at any position. They're dragging people in off the street. They're like, the whole thing is a mess, right? Seattle's is not bad, but Seattle's getting pretty banged up themselves. Like yeah, they, they just had to sign their 2016 backfield back again because all their running backs. Wayne Brown's out. Joey Hunt's not participating in practice. I mean, they got a lot of. Exactly. So they have a lot of injuries and ordinarily that would be seen as an injury crisis. But when compared to Philadelphia's, it's like a bad day at the doctor's office. Like it's not. (laughs) So, but the point is that, you know, Philadelphia's biggest weakness in this game, the fact that all of their guys got injured is less of a problem or more comparable to their opposition than it would be against any other opposition. Right. Every other NFC team is way healthier than both of these sides. So that's a big thing in their favor. Um, the second thing is, you know, they've been able to win even with the revolving door of no bodies, right? Yeah, they've been stitching it together, man. They have a ton of pass rush still, and now there's no Dwayne Brown. The Seattle offensive line is still one of the worst pass protecting units in football. They should be able to pressure Russell Wilson a decent amount. Now, he's going to make some plays because Philadelphia's secondary is, you know, not good. But they should be able to pressure him a lot, and you might be able to force a bad Russell Wilson game that hasn't really happened this year. 
last time they played, the, the Seahawks didn't have the ball very often in general. But Russell Wilson only had 25 attempts in the game. Now, they, it wasn't like they were pounding the rock or anything like that. Rashad Penny had that 158-yard run. He only had 13 carries. Otherwise, they only ran the ball 25 times. That includes Wilson with a kneel and all that stuff. So it wasn't like a run-heavy attack. But I go back to when Seattle played the Bucks, and that was like the one game where their opening drive looked like, I said, it looks like the Chiefs. Screens and misdirection, and it's pass, 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 play action. It's all this stuff. It's establish the pass, and then we'll come back and run the ball once we have the lead. The way that we encourage teams to win, right? Uh, pass efficiently, and then you know run to kill the clock at the end when you have to. That w- that looked great because they were going up against this great run defense. Philadelphia is known for wanting to stop the run first. Their defensive backs, who you know, last week I said they were at the catch point quite a bit. Against the Giants, they made a ton of plays on the ball against Daniel Jones and those receivers. But it's still the weakness of the team. It's still the Eagles trotting out, you know, cornerbacks who are just really inconsistent across the board in that secondary. Does Seattle, do, do they just come out and say, look, playoff time? Nope. Go win it, Russell. Nope. Go win it. Or is it playoff time? Man, we really got to run the ball. We mm-hmm. really have to take the ball out of Russell Wilson's yeah. hands. Yeah. Because that's what they did against Dallas last year. In the playoffs, it was run, run, pass, run, run, pass, run, run, pass. Maybe a play action. Two worst games of Russell Wilson's season have both been against 49ers. Um, the 49ers can get a ton of pressure up front. Now, they have a better secondary on the back end, so it's not like it's a like-for-like comparison. But, you know, you look at this last game, Russell Wilson was under pressure, you know, almost 50%. Well, he was, he was his, sacked six times, so it, was, so it was 32 total dropbacks. They still passed more than they ran. Um only scored 17 this points. This is the last Eagles game. Yes. Yeah. Sacked six times on 32 dropbacks. And he went 13 for 25. But he graded well because he kept throwing the balls. You know, sure. Downfield passes. I'm not saying it's... That should have been. Yeah. I'm not saying it's like a foolproof plan, right? But again, against the 49ers, week 17, under pressure, basically 50% of his snaps had one of the worst games he's had. So getting pressure on Wilson is still your best shot of winning the game. Um, oh, yes. And the Eagles should be able to get a ton of pressure on him. Now, whether... You know, that it's not just because you get pressure. This is why, you know, the people that love sacks more than anything else, this is why, right? Because ultimately there is a chance that you can get pressure all the time and every one of those plays, he manages to find a way of getting it over your head, hitting a receiver. Right. And if your secondary sucks, that goes the distance for a touchdown, right? You can fundamentally get a ton of pressure and still get gashed. But overall, by and large, it doesn't happen that way. And most of the time, if you get a ton of pressure in a game, you cause that quarterback to have a bad game, and that's what helps you win. So it's not a guarantee that the Eagles getting a ton of pressure will cause Wilson to play like crap, but it's going to help most of the time. Yeah, and I, so this is also one of those games where I think we talk a lot about the NFL in there. I, I think there's a disconnect in understanding what's led to results. Right. Sometimes it's like, hey, we scored 20 points and it's because we didn't run the ball enough or we didn't do this or didn't do that. If you look at Russell Wilson's stat line at a 75 passer rating in this game and six sacks on 32 dropbacks, you would look at it and say, well, that was a terrible game by Russell Wilson. And then you go back and this was literally the game where he was three passes away, three catchable passes away from having 300 yards and about 10 yards per attempt and three touchdowns, like completely different stat line. Um, now, I know that's part of the passing game, right, is being able to catch the ball and all that stuff. But I wouldn't look back at this game and say Russell Wilson had a bad game. He threw the ball pretty efficient, took too many sacks. But I still want to win and lose the game 
with him. The other thing I think of note, first half of the, just the cyclical nature, you talk about pressure and how important it is and all that stuff versus sacks. First half of the season when Russell Wilson was the clear MVP candidate, passer rating of 112 under pressure. And then second half of the year, cut that in half. Mm. 61.9. More than half. Right? Yeah. No, about half. Less than half. Stop talking. What are you saying? Half-ish. 61.9. Come on, Steve. Do some math in your head a little bit better than that. Almost half. Yeah. 61.9 passer rating in the second half of the season. Um, We don't love passer rating as a stat, but it's just like an easy descriptor of what's happening. And I think passer rating is not, it's not a great QB stat, especially in small sample sizes, but it's a good passing offense efficiency stat for the most part. Not perfect. It's not EPA for teams, but I think it tells a story that was bound to regress. So the other thing is um, Carson Wentz's game against Seattle was one of the worst games of his career. That was when he kept putting the ball on the ground. Right. But also of his season, right? I do, however, think that fundamentally the Eagles offense is not a bad matchup against Seattle's defense, right? Seattle plays more base defense than anybody else in the NFL by a freaking mile. Yeah. Right. Not even like they're you ever see, you know, those scatter plot graphs where all the teams are kind of bundling and Seattle is off here. It's absurd. Yeah. They essentially work on the basis that their third linebacker is their nickel defender right he's good enough that's right. how, that's like iowa in college a lot of teams in college do that yep. okay so they're like our our, our base defense is our nickel because mm-hmm. the the same guy is playing right but what essentially that means is that you are matching up a coverage linebacker against tight ends and the eagles even though they don't have anybody left still use their tight ends their weapon is still their biggest weapon left right now, almost by default, is their tight end. Ertz is out now. Yes, it right? was Ertz. Goddard. Now it's Goddard, right? And even in the first game against these two, those two combined for twenty-two targets. And Ertz had a good game. Like Ertz caught twelve of those, twelve of his thirteen for ninety-one yards. Goddard didn't. Um, but that's the matchup, right? You are by default going to be kind of giving them the look they want anyway you're going to have these matchups of Dallas Goddard against linebackers. And as much as our linebackers are good players, that should fundamentally be a mismatch in your favor. Yeah, definitely something to keep an eye on there. I mean, that's something the Eagles have done a really nice job running their pass game through non-receivers, essentially in recent weeks, because they've had to. You know, they've gotten nice contributions from Greg Ward and some other receivers along the way, but using the backs, using the tight ends, um, attacking linebackers in recent weeks. That's what they've had to do. Appreciate what they've uh, appreciate the difficulty of that and just how um, Wentz, I don't think throw for throw has been spectacular, but I think given the circumstances, he's done a nice job. Yeah. With those guys. Also, don't forget Boston Scott dragging this team to the playoffs. So that's what it is. Ultimately. I mean, that'll, yeah. You're taking the Eagles. Uh, Boston. Am I? I'm taking Seattle <sighs> to win. I don't love it though. I don't love either direction, but I might as well stick with this idea that the NFC's joke can win a playoff game. There's also the coaching aspect of it. And look, I, for, in the analytics community, I think we tend to only what? I, I'm just curious where you're going with this. In the analytics community, <laughs> I feel like folks only tend to focus on what they see. Mm-hmm. Right. So in the analytics community, analytics community, John Harbaugh is making all of the right decisions on fourth down. Therefore, he's a champion, right? 
Pete Carroll is more conservative on fourth down. Mm. Therefore, he is not. Mm. He is frowned upon. Coaching is way more than that. Your CEO of the team and its motivation and all that stuff. And Pete Carroll has an unbelievable track record of taking different types of teams, different style teams, and just winning. Now, you could argue when you have Russell Wilson, you know, covers a multitude of sins, so to speak, just like Tom Brady, I think, does as well in New England uh-huh. and, and QBs always do. So does this come down to coaching and coaching decisions? Not the motivation factor, not the can you get this out of your team, but Pete Carroll, his aggressiveness or lack thereof versus Doug Peterson and his aggressiveness could come down. So I think it's fair to say, I can't remember what it was you were talking about earlier, but to the, the Tredavious White thing, right? These two things can exist at the same time. Yeah. Pete Carroll can be both a very good coach and a guy who is steadfastly ignoring things that would make him even better. Yeah. So he has zero interest in embracing these edges that a lot of the smartest coaches in the NFL are, you know, all about right now. The fourth down stuff, the when to go for two, um, the when not to punt in your, you know, the opposing territory, all this kind of stuff, right? Pete Carroll is basically maintained. Look, I'm I'm too old to change. Can't teach a, a, an old dog new tricks. I've been flying by the seat of my pants for years. I got a pretty good feel for what this should look like. I'm going to do it that way. The best coaches in the NFL right now are saying, well, look, there are, there are definitive numbers for how these things should go, right? At the very minimum, they should give us the framework within which to work. And if I want to go, well, you know what? There's something here that I don't like in this specific occasion. I'm going to go against the numbers, but I have a reason for it. That's cool, right? Yeah. That's fine. But by and large, that will dramatically improve your edge in these specific areas because you're working from something more concrete than my gut feel. It's just fundamentally better, right? Carol is ignoring all of that and saying, well, you know, I've done a pretty good job of it so far, so it's going to work its way out. I, I think it is a fair point to say that those that is an edge that the Eagles have that the Seahawks do not. They are going to have plays in this game where they go for it on fourth down, where the Seahawks won't, where they don't punt the ball because they shouldn't, and it works because of it, where they potentially go for two points when it's not in the script. The, the game book or the whatever it is, the book says you don't do it yet, but actually the book says you should do it. You're just reading, reading the wrong book. You're reading the wrong book. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a, it's fair to highlight that as an edge that, you know, the, the Eagles, once you get to the game, that's an edge Philadelphia has. Everything up to the game, Pete Carroll might be the superior coach. But yeah, it's, at the point where the thing, at the point where those things are happening, he's just not working from the, he's not starting at the best point, which is, here's a framework of data that says when we should do this, adjust accordingly. I, I, so in, we had this discussion last year at this time. Remember, Seattle last year lost to Dallas. And they were, again, Russell Wilson was spectacular. He had something like four or five big-time throws on like 25 attempts. Just ridiculous, right? And this is where I think this whole disconnect between what actually happened and what's the perception of what happened. And you hear the post-game press conferences last year, and they were like, well, we just didn't get to our good plays. They only ran like 55 plays, Seattle. Just didn't get to our good plays. We didn't establish the run enough when people on the other side, like you, you, you ran it too much. You took the ball out of Russell Wilson's hands. He was spectacular. Right. Um, so there's that disconnect. I wonder if Seattle thinks about that and is like, well, we got to establish the run harder. We got to go even further um, down this path. And I just wanted to speak generally to that whole concept. It isn't funny in sports where it, 
the idea of analytics has been kind of like created as like, well, it must be opposing to traditional thought, right? When it's all it is, is just more information. It's like if, if your fiance who you think is spectacular cheats on you randomly and there's more information about maybe her character, you might reconsider your decision making with the wedding instead of like, nope, I trust my gut. I loved her initially and I, I, I believe in her. She's a good kid. I, I, I I've usually, got more information at the table here. I usually think that when you start dabbling in metaphors, it's uh, it's playing with fire. Is but that I a think, good one? I think you really hit on one there. I like that. I've been thinking about this metaphor for about five minutes now and I think I'm like, oh man, this this could really burn me. But Sam likes it. No, I think that's a good one. Oh, yeah. good. I mean, it's a high wire act when you start messing with metaphors, but I yeah. think you nailed it there. Oh, yeah. yeah. I see it in your in your eyes. You're like, oh, yeah. Steve's, Steve's metaphoric. I like that. Metaphoring or something. I think it's a good way of describing it, though, that I think the analytics is a word now. It's just getting messy and people. Everybody it thinks that you're either this or that. Right. Right. But ultimately, oh, you're, this, you're analytics. You're describing it correctly, that all analytics is, is generating more information about things. Now, usually it's through combing through giant swathes of data, but it doesn't have to be. I mean. From a definition standpoint, when coaches would go through in the 1960s, reel the real cut up to their opposition and pull out tendencies. Looking for information. That's analytics. That's it. That is literally what analytics is. All that's happened is instead of a guy in a dark room with several reel to reels of the opposition, it's digital data that's available at the touch of a button and encompasses every play you know, in the last yeah. however many years, like it's, just, it's all there. It's more information. Do what you want with it. Yes. So analytics is not necessarily telling you anything. The information within or the information gleaned from those analytics can be. And yeah. some of the information does point you in specific ways when it comes to fourth downs, punting, two points, et cetera, et cetera. So there you go. Right, so where are you going to go with this game? I'm going to go with the Eagles. I don't like it. Good. No, no, that's you. You need to. You've been on this take for months. I have, but I, I, I never liked it. I was never wild in the idea. I'm taking Seattle. I pitched as an idea it. once, got told to write an article on it, and got like six words into it and couldn't come up with any more. Did I help you? I tried to send you a free. No, you, know, you were useless. To. What do you mean? I sent you. I sent you your thoughts. You made you it worse. I was already struggling, and you you made it worse. I gave you a bulleted version of what you were trying to say. You gave me a bulleted version of something else. You were not helpful. But I had a good metaphor in this show, which was nice. You did. Make sure Michael's got that down and chop that up for you. Also, some life advice. Oh, yeah? You know, you might love your fiance, but if she cheats on you, it's new information (laughs) that you should probably consider before you go marry her. You should. Now, you could still make the decision to Uh marry her, Uh but at least consider the information. Yes. Yes. At least consider it. Well, this is a great example where going by gut feel might not be the, the smartest thing to do. My gut one. says she made a mistake. Let's move on. Yeah, We're good. The, the new information says maybe reevaluate. Yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe punt. Maybe punt. It might, it might tell you to punt. Don't go for it on that fourth down. Wow, we're really doubling down on the metaphor now. No, I'm done. Okay. Finishing on a high note, Costanza style. I'm out. It's been a great show. You don't know any Seinfeld reference that I make. I, I don't want to know. Art Vandelay, Costanza leaving on a high note. You've got no clue. No. We need some sound clips, some Seinfeld sound clips. To, no, no, to, no, he doesn't. To help paint no. the picture for you. No. You're a bad American for not liking it. I mean, it's possible that it sucks. No, no, it's not. I, I think it is. It's not. Yeah. It's not possible. I think, well, so here's what I would present to you. It doesn't to have you. to be fall on the floor. Li- funny, but it's funny. What I would present to you is evidence suggesting it is, right? Has Jerry Seinfeld ever done anything else that's funny ever? Doesn't matter. He was sitting on that. It was good. 
Hmm. That that might. Like he's in a bunch of other stuff, and none of it's been funny. I think it tells you how good the show was. How? It's like a system player <laughs> leaving the system and going somewhere else. Yeah. Right? Like, so all of Brady's receivers early in his career. Yeah. Right? When David Givens and Dion Branch signed these big contracts to go elsewhere and they're terrible, does it tell you, well, everything they did in New England must have been bad, or it tells you that system and Brady and everything that they're doing must be great? Didn't Dion Branch get banged up a lot once he left? He was terrible. In Seattle, and then he comes back to New England, and he's good again. What, it tells he, you that Brady made him good. Wasn't he injured in the time in the in between? Like a lot. Oh, I don't remember. And no. David Gibbons, he couldn't do anything. Well, he might have just sucked. Yeah, yeah. So the point is, they needed to be in that ecosystem that led to success. Like Jerry, the ecosystem of Seinfeld mm. in the show was very good and successful. You're making my point, Sam. You're making my point. All right, we're going to be back Monday recapping. Is that it for today? Yeah. I hear the music. I mean, I'm out of here. I don't know what you're doing. Do you want to talk about anything else? No. Free agency? No, I'm done. Okay, we I'm won't out. touch free agency. Yeah, we'll, we'll start on that soon. But we'll be back Monday recapping all of the wild card action. And then we'll be looking forward to divisional round. It's flying by, guys. Everybody, enjoy wild card weekend. We'll see you Monday morning. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did go check out kyler murray and his nfl debut that's my favorite thing about nfl game pass you can go back and watch at any time and if you haven't watched a condensed game yet you have to try it out it's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire nfl game in the fraction of the time it normally takes it's how i'm able to follow all the mvp candidates all the breakout stars and of course your waiver wire pickups all season long to see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL. If you have thyroid eye disease and itchy eyes have you itching for a fight, it might be time to discover another treatment option. To learn more, visit TreatMyTed.com. That's TreatMyTed.com.